Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come and worship you through the word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at what you would want us to learn from this section in Isaiah. Let your spirit be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 14. We're continuing the prophecy of, that uh, Isaiah is uh, giving about the triumph of Israel over Babylon. And remember, we've talked about this most likely being a, a picture of the end times into the millennial kingdom. Um, and some of it, current times for them at, the, at their time. So we're at uh, chapter 14, verse 22. For I will rise up against them, says the Lord of hosts. I will cut off from Babylon the name and remnant, the son, the nephew, says the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the bitterin and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the besom of destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. All right, that's the end of that paragraph, so we're going to go and finish here. So God says, I will rise up. And, you know, this is what I keep saying. Our best thing is to let God be our defender. He, he will be more than happy to defend us if we get out of the way. If we try to defend ourselves, he says, okay, fine, you go ahead and defend yourself, and I'll just stand back. He, he does not help us defend ourselves. He will either defend for us or let us defend ourselves. And over the years, I've pretty much come to the conclusion that it's much better to let God defend me than, than try to do it myself. I always mess it up. Uh, so my encouragement to everybody, if you haven't learned already, learn to let God be your defense. <laughs> uh, he says, I will arise against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and the remnant and the son and the nephew, saith the Lord. Uh, again, this is one of those things I think is, going to, is talking about end days because Babylon has been in existence, has stayed in existence, and it isn't until Revelation 17 that Babylon falls and is cut off from, from the world. And that's toward the very end of the millennial, of, of the seven years of tribulation. So here again, I think we're seeing a clear picture that this is end times prophecies that, that uh, Isaiah is making. Because he's going to say he's going to cut off everything. When God stands up against him and takes him out, everything will be gone. And God does this frequently with people. When he comes up against problems, he takes them out and makes them as if they've never existed. And he can even do that in our own life when he corrects things and, and fixes things. He can make it like the problem never existed. And hopefully you've had those experiences on at least one occasion where God just seems to make the problem totally disappear and there was so much good that came out of it that you're going, okay, it was a good thing that it did happen. And you're happy that it happened even to a, to a point because you see all the good that resulted from it. And that's what God says. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to wipe out every remembrance of them. Their very name, all their, all their men, their nephews, their sons, everything even the remnant. And that's very unusual for God to destroy a remnant. And it says, I will make it a possession for the bitterin and pools of water. Now, bitterin have very interesting, in Hebrew it literally means some kind of hedgehog or porcupine animal. But being that this is also the King James, bitterin literally is a herring that makes a very large, a very loud sound. Now, I don't know which one's the right one. Okay, I'm going to go with the Hebrew that they think it means hedgehog or porcupine, some kind of small rodent. I thought it meant something. 
in Old English, it's a herring-like bird with a very loud noise, uh, sound that it makes. No, 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 a, a her, her, herring, heron, whatever, uh, with the long legs and long neck, uh, eating, eating the fish. Uh, but this one makes a very loud noise. Uh, that's what it is in, old, in the older English. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm looking at. With it makes sense if it's a if it's that kind of a bird that the pools of water fit for it. Because uh, I don't think of porcupines and hedgehogs liking watery watery land areas. So. Yeah. Yeah, because that's in the Hebrew. It's a porcupine or a or a hedgehog, something of that that nature. So, but again, we talk about these very specific words. They oftentimes don't know the meaning of so. You know, who knows whether what what it <laughs> what it is, but it's some kind of small insignificant animal. Let's put it that way. It's a small insignificant animal that they're referring to is going to be the what's going to dwell in the area of Babylon. And he says, I will sweep it with a bassoon, which is just a word for broom. The broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. So he's just going to sweep it right out, out of existence. And again, when you read in Revelation when Babylon falls that literally is what is pictured, that it falls so completely that it is taken out of existence. So this is again why I believe we're looking at an end times prophecy. Verse 24, the Lord of hosts has sworn saying, surely as I have thought it, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land and upon my mountains tread him underfoot then shall his yoke depart from off of them and his burden depart from off, off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed for, upon the whole earth and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations for the Lord of hosts hath purposed and who shall disannul it and his hand is stretched. So here God's continuing this idea that I have thought it, it's going to happen. And this is something that, you know, God keeps bringing up. He says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. He may delay it. He may put it off for a long time so it looks like it's not happening. But when God says, I've thought it and it's my purpose and I am going to do it, which is one of the things that gives me great comfort, and I've said this many times, I get great comfort in the fact that what God says and, and believes and thinks is going to happen. Nothing happens in our lives that he does not allow. And as I've said many times, you know, we may go, God, I wish you would allow a little bit less in my life. But God knows what's best for us. He knows his plans for us. And, you know, we just need to be able to back off and just say, God, I'm yours to do with as you want. If you think it's good for me to suffer for, for three decades before you bless me, then I'll suffer for three decades. If you want to make, put me through hardships and trials, then thank God I've been worthy to, to suffer those because heaven's a long time of uh, freedom. We take comfort in God is in control. God is sovereign. Everything will be what he means it to be. We will only go through what he allows. And if we always keep in mind that God is good and has a good plan for us, then no matter what he allows coming our way, we'll go, okay, God, you know, and I, like I said, I use the statement all the time, God, I don't understand what's good about this, but 
you're in control and you've promised that it's going to be good, so I'm just going to rest in your promise. But it, it is true, you know, our first instinct when something seems bad is to criticize God, how could you let this happen to me? Instead of, okay, God, you know, you want to teach me something, you, you know, this is good, you know, you're, you're, you've got a plan for this, help me just rest. And if you rest long enough, you usually will get to see what good is coming out of it. And it may be a decade later, it may be only weeks later, it may be months later, it may be long period. We might not know in this world why, but God has a reason. And I believe he'll show us when we stand before Jesus at the Bema seat and he'll say, this is what this was all about. You were faithful to me and this person saw it and became a Christian or this person saw it and was strengthened in, in their walk with, walk with me. And then they did great things because of your, you know, who knows exactly what the reason is, but God does. And the, I only take the comfort in, he's got a plan. And it's a good plan. And if I knew everything he knew, I'd be fully on board with it. The problem is we don't know everything he knows and it's hard, hard sometimes for us to get on board until we truly believe that he knows everything and he's got a good plan for us. It is exactly what we would pick if we knew what he knew. Uh, so it's better just to trust and rest in him. But resting in God is one of the hardest things to do. You know, God, I just don't see what's going on. I don't see how losing my job is going to be a good thing. I don't know how, God, you know, my car breaking down is a, is a good thing when I have no money in the bank and it's my only way to work. Now I'm going to lose my job because I can't get to work. And, and you're going, God, I just don't understand how all of this stuff can be good. And God says, just rest. Yeah. And again, when I say rest, I don't mean we just sit on our laurels waiting for something to be poured over our heads, but we just don't panic and worry about it. I know too many people that they're probably professional worriers. They should hire themselves out to be worriers, you know, uh, because they worry about everything and anything and can't do that. It's not, life is too short to be worrying. It's too short to be concerned about what might happen because uh, most of what you worry about doesn't happen anyway. And if it does, you just deal with it when it happens. And you can put some plans into place for retirement or emergencies and stuff, but you don't be worrying about all of what can happen in your life. It makes a very miserable life. Uh, verse 25 says, I will break the Assyrian in my land and upon my mountains tread un him underfoot. Now remember, the Assyrians are the nation that conquered the northern kingdom. They have now been, they are getting ready to be conquered by Babylon. And Babylon's getting ready to take over. So God's going to use Babylon to help get rid of the Assyrians and crush them under, under his feet. And it says, his yoke shall depart off them and his burden shall depart from their shoulders. So the northern kingdom's going to lose Assyria and gain Babylon. <laughs> Which wasn't a whole lot better. <laughs> was not a whole lot better uh, nation to be under. Uh, so sometimes you see some humor in this. God, you know, God's going to deliver them, and yet he's not, he's not going to completely deliver them because he doesn't say, I'm going to put you under Babylon's oppression because Babylon is later is going to take the, north, the, the southern kingdom into captivity as well as destroying Assyria. And God uses them, and then later on God's going to use the Medo-Persians to, to eliminate the Babylonians because of their harshness on Israel uh, when they conquered them. And uh, see all these different problems that occur. 
And 26, for this, this is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that, that is outstretched out upon all the nations. So again, I think we're here switching back to an end times prophecy because he says, I have got a purpose for the entire world, and I'm going to put it under my subjection. And God is all-powerful. For a thousand years, he's going to completely reign on this world, and Satan will be bound and captive for a thousand years, and God is going to reign in a perfect kingdom, a perfect king, perfect government, no corruption, no, no bad uh, things going on, no bad decisions. Everything will be perfect for a thousand years. So that's like ten generations. Um, well, generations will be longer in that time. Yeah, we yeah we only live to be about 100, 120 ish. Uh, in that day, it says that a, that a that a man who dies at 100 will be considered a child. So, we, that period of time, as far as we can oh, tell, will refer very much back to Adam and Eve's time, eight nine hundred years. So some of the people will live most of most of the millennial kingdom, or at least three or four hundred years. If if 100 is a is still a child, you're looking at you know four or five six hundred years to to be full grown. <laughs> and uh, so, but that's a period of time that God's gonna rule with perfection. And then Satan is released and people rebel against God. A thousand years of perfect life, or virtually perfect life, and they're gonna join Satan in a, to attack God. And it's just really hard to even fathom that that would happen, but as I've looked at it, God, Jesus is going to rule with an iron rod, which means people are going to be made to be obedient. The sin nature still exists in those who made it through the tribulation period in their flesh. So the sin nature wants to sin, and he's going to rule and say, no, you're not going to sin. So there are going to be a lot of people who are saying, I'm tired of this not sinning stuff. Oh, he's offering a chance to go do sinning, you know, do the things I think I want to do, and then many millions or thousands are going to join him to come against Jesus. And a very quick way, he speaks a word and they're all dead. <laughs> yeah. they, didn't, they didn't learn from the, from the first war when the millennial kingdom started. And they didn't, you know, man are so forgetful. We forget our history so much. And the old adage, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it, is very, very true. And it keeps repeating itself over and over again. The millennial kingdom's got a picture of it. God, Jesus defeats Satan and the armies, binds Satan, lets him go a thousand years later, and then kills, kills off the opposition real fast. And again, we, we bring up what we talked about when we looked at the I wills of Satan. Satan is a created being. He is not God's equal. Okay, we've got to keep that in mind because so many, especially even Christians, get this idea that somehow Satan is equal to God, equal to God and is opposite. No, he's a created being who has no power unless God gives it to him and could be unthought in a moment and brought out of existence, and yet God is using him to try humanity and test humanity to see if we're going to follow God or not. And that's his whole job. Since his fall, that's his whole purpose in, of existence is to try people and see if they're going to believe God or not. You know, and he's going to go one more big battle against God and fail. <laughs> and, you know, I can't understand why he keeps fighting against God, knowing his, knowing his destiny, 
knowing, knowing that he's already defeated at the cross. Because he tried hard to beat, beat God at the cross even. The Jews have been under attack all before Jesus was born for one reason, because if Satan could eliminate the Jews, then Jesus would never be born. The Messiah would not be born because he had to be born of the seed of Abraham through Isaac. Okay, no, no other line would work. It had to be through Isaac. So Satan has, over the generations, tried to wipe out the Jewish people. Because if he could wipe them out, then Jesus could not be born. And so he tried hard. Jesus was born. He tried hard to wipe them out. God protected him there, too. He wiped out the entire, all the children, two and under, in Bethlehem. So trying to wipe out the Messiah after his birth. And then he said, okay, well, we can't get him now, and let's take him to the cross. I don't think Satan fully understood the purpose of the cross. He understood the Messiah was going to be there, going to start a kingdom. This is the eternal God. He hasn't sinned. He can live forever. He didn't understand. Somehow he didn't understand. He came to die and resurrect in victory over for our sins. So he killed him, trying to get rid of the Messiah, doing just what God said he would do all through the scriptures. Ever since then, he's been trying to wipe out the Jews for the, for the next reason is that all the end-time prophecies are, are about Jews in Jerusalem. So if he could get rid of the Jews during this period of time, he can eliminate the, the next set of prophecies. And this is what is going on. It's a long history of, go, of Satan trying to destroy God's prophecies. Because if he could manage to wipe out the Jews, the prophecies cannot come true. And he's not going to be successful. God's always got a remnant out there. He's always protected his people. And Satan has never been able to defeat them and never will be able to defeat them because God's got a plan for them. And when we look at the scriptures, and this is why when you hear somebody talk about, oh, the Christian church has replaced Israel. It's called replacement theology, and there's a lot of Christian churches out there that still teach. The church is in the place of of the Jews. The Jews rejected Jesus. God has rejected them. That's not what the scriptures teach. Uh, what they'll do is any place Jerusalem and Israel is mentioned, they'll spiritualize it to say this is the church. And don't buy into that. Because you know, remember what I've told you about reading the scriptures. If it can make sense literally, it means what it says. Romans the other day, and Romans 2.29 makes it sound like regular people can be Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and yeah. circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Yeah, so to me that kind of thing. There is an extent to where that is true. We as Gentile believers have been engrafted into Judaism. And it really says we've been engrafted into the root of the olive tree, and the olive tree 99% of the time represents uh, Israel. And God knew when he was saying that we are engrafted as Jew, as Gentiles into the olive tree. Basically, he's saying we are becoming spiritual Jews, which is what Paul's saying in, in Romans. So yes, there is a degree where we are becoming, in God's eyes, part of his family and, and, and the Jewish. Um, and what Paul is really even telling the Jews, if just because you were born a Jew and circumcised in the with uh, the foreskin of your flesh, you know, you're not necessarily going to heaven. You're not necessarily, you know, one of God's children just because your parents did this to you. 
And this is the problem with infant baptisms. Okay, that child made no decision for God. It means absolutely nothing. You sprinkled water on the baby, big deal. Just because you're born in a Christian home does not make you a Christian. So that's what Paul is saying in there, ultimately. So, so this doesn't No, because that one very, very specifically says 12,000 from Judah, 12,000 from Simeon, 12,000 from Manasseh. It goes right down the list and says 12,000 from each of the tribes. Many of the promises about Judaism apply to us because we're engrafted into Judaism because of what, because of they are God's people and we are now God's people. All right? And we are part of his new chosen people because of the new covenant. And again, in Paul's whole thing in that Romans 2 is that just because you were born a Jew doesn't mean that you're that special to God. You've got to choose God. You've got to choose God. And so he's, then he's, and then he's going, and by the way, all these Gentiles that are coming to Christ have been engrafted into Judaism. Uh, because we don't really want to be totally engrafted into Judaism because then we'd have to obey all the laws. Jesus came and fulfilled the law so that we have liberty to live the way he wants us to live. Now, the, the key to that, of course, is the way he wants us to live, not necessarily the way I want to do. I'm, I'm to live in a way that exalts his name, which means technically I'm going to end up following most of the law because as he changes who I am and I want to do things that he wants done, I'm going to be more and more obedient to the law, not because I'm saying I have to do all these good things, but I want to become like him. And as we said, the law, all the laws of God are based in his character. So they are who he is. Okay, and you know, in, when we did the Dale Tackett thing in Truth Project, I love the one where he goes, well, there's God standing around in heaven deciding you know, the laws, and he was flipping a coin. You know, you shall kill or you shall not. You know, uh, no, he didn't flip a coin to figure out whether something was right or wrong. All the right and wrong comes out of who he is, which is why God will not violate his law because he is not going to violate who he is. And all the law comes out of who he is. So he will not deviate from that. When Jesus came to this world, he knew that he was here for the plan of fulfilling God's plan, which was for him to die on the cross. He knew that. There was no question in his mind that he was going to the cross. He kept telling the disciples for especially the last year, but the whole three year, four years that he's ministering with them, he's telling them, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die, and I'm going to resurrect. Uh, but, you know, in the last year, he's telling them all the time, so it won't be a surprise, and it still surprised them. Okay? He knew why he had come. Most of us would have looked at that cross and saying, God, uh, are you really sure that's what you want me to do? You want me to die? Uh, and not just for my, not, not for my own problem, but for everybody else's sin? You know, and we in our, you know, especially in our flesh, would have gone, uh-uh, not going to happen. I don't, see, I don't see how this could be good. And it wouldn't be good if we were doing it because of our, our sinful flesh. It wouldn't have done any good. But with Jesus, he knew the plan. He trusted the Father. And this is so important. I keep coming back to this. We need to learn to trust the Father. He's got a plan for us. Even when we can't see it, doesn't mean there's not a plan. And he is very good about not showing us what, everything about the plan. 
he usually will show us one or two steps, maybe. He says, I just want you to walk. Take these steps I'm giving you to walk. And you start learning to walk in those steps, and you go, oh, oh, there's the path. It's like walking, walking or driving in a very dense fog. You, kinda, you just see a little bit of the path as you go along. When I was in Sacramento and I'd be driving home uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning in the Sacramento Valley, there'd be fog everywhere, and you're on the highway looking at the, you know, head out the window basically, looking at the line to make sure you're still on the road because uh, you couldn't see more than about five feet ahead of you. And that's the picture of God leading us. Here's your line. Here's your path. Stay on the path. I'm only showing you. And you know what? It's good that he only shows us a couple steps at a time because if you look back at where, you know, where you're at now and you think back, well, if God had asked me to do this 10 years ago, I would have told him he was nuts and I was never going to do it. But he's gotten you now to a point where it's not that big a step. And we would probably be scared to death if he showed us where he's going to take us 20 years from now. You know, you know okay, here's where you're going to be 20 years from now doing these. Ah, I don't think so. You know, uh, especially if you're starting out just out of a backslidden state or a brand new Christian. And, or and, getting old. <laughs> or getting old. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm doing that at that age. But, but, you know, little things like even tithing, when you first get saved, the last thing you want to think about is giving God money. God, I don't have enough money to live on my own, you know, and you, and you want you want how much of my money? Ten percent, God? Yeah. And then and then you start giving the ten percent, and he goes, oh, by the way, I think I'd like a little bit more. Uh, God, you know, <laughs> you know, and if you're like me and you're the percentage that I am, if you were shown you were going to do that, you know, when you're first saved, it's like, uh-uh, I'm not giving that much away, God. And that's what a lot of people do. I, you know, I gave my I gave you my gift, God. Yeah. Uh, I gave you all the I gave you all the three dollars in my pocket, <laughs> uh, but you know that kind of stuff. Or challenging you to be a teacher or to step forward and run a ministry. You know who knows what it is God's got in store for us, and He doesn't show us until we're ready to be willing to take the step. And He does that on purpose because He literally would be terrified <laughs> if we knew what He has in plan for us. And the same thing when, when we stand at the Bema seat and we see the battle fronts that we were in. Because I think God's going to show us the spiritual side of what was going on around us. How much, how much attacks he took for us. And you know, there's a lot of stories about the angels who, when we see our angels bloody, bloodied, and, bloodied and bruised and battered, and we go, what happened? Well, these were all the, all the attacks I took for you while you walked on the earth. And we always feel like we're being abused and beat up, and we probably don't have anything. Uh, Lynn used to joke that she'll know her, her angel that protected her on the time that her car broke. She lost a tie rod and made three turns with her car. She goes, my, my angel's going to be covered with uh, grease and grime from turning the wheel. You know, but it really was. I mean, I'm going, no, this broke. You, can't, you couldn't have made those turns, and yet I saw the gouges in the in the asphalt where she made three turns you know uh, so what do what happens to us that we don't know that God is protecting us from the fiery darts of the enemy that says okay they're not ready for this one so angel that one you're taking that one (laughs) you get the shield up angel Uh, and so we see all of this thing you know God protects and he says I'll show you when it's time to show you and we just need to learn to be resting. 
and very important for us. You know, I've been talking a lot about faith rest. I guess it's the time to be talking about faith rest. So it's just learning to trust God. Well, everybody's supposed to be, all Christians especially. No, but I'm saying that is to remember how that. I can't even remember what day is. But I'm using that realizing that God has a plan. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of it makes me more comfortable where I'm at, but it's resting in God where I'm at. Yeah. It makes, it makes me more at ease where I'm at instead of being like, well, I got to do this because I'm not right where I'm at. Yeah. Got to do this. Got to do that. God, I don't understand why all this is happening. And go and God saying, "You're not supposed to. Just rest in my plan." Me, I feel And it makes life easy, and it is contentment, rest, peace. It all comes down to this: knowing that God has a plan, and all I've got to do is, okay, God, you've got me in this little field. Just let me lay down and rest for a while. Uh, Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in, in, in green pastures. He provides my food. He leads me beside still waters. You know, you are my comfort. You know, he's the one that gives us the balm and the ointments when we're sick. You know, and he is our shepherd. And we really start considering that, the importance on that. God is our shepherd. When we start to go astray, he'll give us the hook around our neck and and draw us back. If we really want to fight it, he'll let us go a little further and get hurt a little bit and then still draw us back. But he wants to protect us. He wants to keep us from all the pain that, that is going to hurt us in the long run. Now, he is willing to let us have our way. If we really want to have our way and fight him, he'll let us fall down into a ditch or two and get muddy and bruised and broken bones and said, are you ready to be picked up yet? Yeah, please get me, please get me up now. I, you know, I, I've, I've damaged my life. I've damaged my testimony. I've damaged your, your testimony. Go ahead and bring me back. Uh, and hopefully we stay that way. But <laughs> we usually do the same thing again. But all of this really comes down to if we truly trust in what God has planned for us, it gives us a lot of freedom just to relax and not fight and and kick against him and say, God, I don't, li- don't like your plan. And God's saying, well, you need to know the whole plan before you tell me you don't like my plan. And this is so important. You know, this is something that happens sometimes even for managers or even parents. You know, you've got a surprise for your kids. <laughs> We're going to go to the amusement park. Well, I don't want to go with, I don't want to get in the car. You know, I don't want to go wherever we're going. I want to go play at Johnny's house. You know, uh, he's got this new video game, and we're going to have a lot of fun playing his video game. Well, you really want to come with us to this, to this surprise? I go, oh, no, I don't want to do that. How long is it going to take to get there? Well, it'll take about an hour, hour and a half. Oh, no, I really don't want to do this. You know, uh, how often have we kind of complained to God, we want to play in the mud pies instead of, Wherever it is, he's got planned for us. You know, let me guys just play in the dirt, God. I'm enjoying playing in this dirt. Oh, oh, what was that over there? Wow, that was quite a man. Well, that was going to be yours. <laughs> but you wanted to play in the mud. <laughs> and, you know, we need to be careful just to rest and say, God, whatever you want. Help me. Guide me. Lead me. Listening to his still, small voice. Uh, I do believe to a degree in open doors, but I also warn everybody, Satan can open doors too. He can make it look like you have a bunch of open doors. Make sure that you're listening to God (laughs) before you just walk through an open door. Uh, Because I've, in my lifetime, I've walked through several open doors that were not God's open doors. 
They've led to miserable times. Now, God has used those miserable times, but I know that they weren't where God wanted me. Usually, I made the decisions without praying about it. And, you know, and again, we have this part of the process of all things work together for good. So even when I mess up, God's going to work it together for good. But it does not mean it was the ideal plan. All right? The promise is that everything that I, that I go through is going to be for good. Even if I cause my problems, God will make them for good. But that wasn't necessarily the best plan that he had in mind. And we need to keep that in mind. But the good, the good part of it is no matter what, he's going to make it good. Even if I caused it. And that's hard for people to understand. A lot of people go, well, as long as you're walking in God's way, everything works, together for, uh, everything works together for good. But that's not what the verse says. The verse says, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Okay? Yeah, not just the good things, not the things that walk in his, but everything. Even if I cause a miserable time in my life, God's going to make something good out of it. Now, it may not be something that is for my good. Remember, I very clearly have said it may not be for my good. It may be, it might be somebody looking and saying, well, I know what not to do now. <laughs> okay, so it was good for them. Uh, and it could be you're so faithful in it that people look at it and say, wow, God, I want to be as faithful as that person. And you may never know what those people, you know, either one of those you may never know what the good was that came out of it because unless they tell you sometime down the road, you know, I learned from your, your misbehavior or, or you really encouraged me, you're not going to know that they did it until you see it in heaven. And God says, see, this is what happened. This person was helped because of what you, what you went through. Uh, and the problem we have is too often we think, God, what is, what is it gonna, how is it going to be for my good? And God didn't say it was going to be for my good. He said it's all things work together for good for those that are called according to the purpose of God. You know, which means if he's going to use me as the, as the chamber pot you know, <laughs> for a period of time because of how bad I have been behaving, then that's a very important, uh, or used to be a very important you know, item in their, in their household before indoor plumbing. And, uh, and it was very needed and it was very important to them. Wasn't a very good job to have, but you know, if that's what he wants to use us for, then that's his right. He's going to use us. And so that they get, they get blessed. You know. uh, and, but you know, even at that, God says if you're faithful in whatever he's given you, he's going to reward us for what, what we're faithful in. God is not measuring each one of us against anybody else. Okay? What I do for God is not being measured up against anybody in the church, which would be the easy side of thing for the most part, and it's not being measured against any other pastor out there or any superstar pastor out there. I'm not having to live up to any of them. I have to live up to what God is asking me to do. And as long as I do it to, to full force, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And for each one of us, that's why if somebody just has one gift, it's easier for them to get full use out of their gift. God, I, don't, I only have this one thing to give, but I'm giving you 100% of the, this. The widow at Zarephath who, who was asked by Elijah to bake him a cake, she had enough oil and flour to make one small cake. And he says, okay, you're going to make one for your whole family, but make me one first. She's looking at this and going, uh, she had to have been looking at, okay, I got enough to make one. And he said, I'm making it for the whole family. 
and he wants the first one, do I dare believe this? And she stepped out in faith and made him a cake and then went back and there's enough oil and flour to make cake for her. And she, made, and she goes back and there's oil and flour to keep, make for her, for her son. And it kept that way until God gave food to the land on, on the famine. How often does God ask us to step out and do something that seems insane? Okay, Tithing is one of those things. See, God asks for the first fruits. He, want, he wants his tithe off the top. Not If you have money left over it after you pay all your bills, give me, some, give me some of your money. He says, I want it first. And we look at it and say, God, I've got, I got $1,100 worth of bills and I got $1,000 and you want 100 of that. God, my 900 is not going to pay that. And he says, trust me. And you trust him, and somehow you manage to pay the $1,100 in bills. Uh, you know, and it's amazing when we put him first that his plan is just so wonderful. And sometimes I don't understand how my, my $900 goes, get, pays $1,100 in bills. But it, it, I've al he's always been faithful. I've given him in my, his tithes and then off, now offerings. And he's always faithful. They all, the bills always get paid. Sometimes I don't have a clue how they get paid. You know, sometimes it's a wonderful deal I found at the store when I went grocery shopping and spent you know, $30 less than I had planned on and still went home with everything I had planned on and buying or you know, an extra little job here or, or whatever. But God brings it about. And he says, I have a plan. I've got a purpose. And it's just wonderful. Has he made me rich and famous? Nope. I thought I would be. That was my goal when I was a teenager. By 30, I was going to be a millionaire. I didn't make it. I didn't even make it and lose it. I never even made it. Uh, but by the same token, with honoring God, I've always been okay. We've always had a house over our head. We've always had the utilities on in the house. We've always had the, you know, the insurance bills paid. Everything has always been paid generally on time, unless I made stupid, <laughs> stupid mistakes with credit cards and stuff, which I've done that too. Uh, you know, there's times when it's been my fault that we didn't get, <laughs> get everything covered, but when I've honored God and been right with my money, I had no problems. And this is what God's saying, I've got a purpose. I have a purpose for you, and we just need to reach, uh, reach out and rest in it. So, and... Uh, Verse 27, for the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? And again, the wonderful thing is, no matter what I do, I cannot thwart God's plan, even for my life. Okay, I can make it harder for him by doing everything wrong. I can take all the wrong turns for a while, but he's going to bend me back the way he wants me to go. Uh, and I look at this, you know, as a manager, and even as a parent sometimes, I would, I would set up the scenario and I'd start talking about what I wanted to have happen long before I presented it. And then when I presented it, everybody thought it was their idea. You know, uh, oh yeah, sounds like a great thing to me. It didn't have to fight, didn't have to argue, and God does that with us sometimes. And he's a master at it because he knows everything. He knows exactly what to do to, to make us go in the direction that he wants. So our free will isn't always <laughs> Totally free will. It's a guided will that, that makes us think that it was our, you know, God, I know God, I think this is where you wanted me, but I'm really happy. I, I did this. I thought this up. And God's going, okay, you just keep thinking you did it. 
you know. Uh, and I've done it many times in a business place where I want to make a big change or something, you know, we just start talking about it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then, then really funny when somebody comes up with the idea, why don't we do this? I think that's a wonderful idea. Let's go ahead and do that. Uh, and, you know, it's just something I learned to do over the years. Because it's easier to get people convinced that they want to do something than to just tell them they're going to do it. And so, but there's always times when you have to say, this is what you're going to do. Uh, and I use the same example. When Saul was knocked off his horse, and he said, what do you want, Lord? You know, Paul, he had a choice at that time. He could have kept fighting against God. Nobody in their right mind would have. Okay, he's been knocked off his horse. There's a bright light making him blind, and, and, he, and he's being talked to by God directly. Nobody in their right mind would have said, no, God, I'm not going to Damascus to meet this guy, you know, this uh, one, one a year followers of the way that you're going to send me. Uh, nope, I'm going to arrest him as soon as I can't see. As soon as, we, as, soon as my, my servants see him, we're going to arrest him. Yeah. No, he was ready. Okay, don't understand what's going on, but yeah, I'm going to follow this God because who knows what he's going to do the next time. And you know, we, we need to be careful because God's going to get his way. One way or the other, God's going to get his way. And it's better to give him his way with our free will and with our arm twisted up behind our back and, and a hook in our nose saying, you're going this way. <laughs> okay, here's your leash, you're coming this way, you know. And it's a choker chain, so if you fight, we're <laughs> and God will do that if he has to. He wants us to do it freely. But there's times when they're so important that he's going, it's going to be done. Uh, when the people of children of Israel went into captivity, God says, it's going to happen. You know, uh, Jeremiah told the king, don't leave, just surrender. And instead, the king tried to run away and was tortured and, and beat. And his sons were killed. And, and they took his eyes out you know, after his sons were killed in front of his eyes and said, you know, now you're going to Babylon tortured. And God said, you were going to be honored if you just surrendered and did what you were supposed to do. He didn't want to lose his kingdom. And so he ran and paid a heavy price for his running. And the people paid a price. And all the leaders paid a price because they were all killed. And we see obedience to God of our own free will is much better than being forced to. Because there are times when God forces it. Because he is sovereign. He's going to have his way. One way or the other, he's going to have his way. And if we really won't bend to him, it might just be the sin unto death that takes us and God says, okay, well, you really don't want to bend? I'm just going to bring you home. That's it. You're, you're done. And there's, I know people, or I believe I know people that have had that happen to them. Couldn't get over sins, couldn't, couldn't ever live for God, so God said, okay, you're, you're coming home. You're hurting the testimony too much. And he takes them home. Doesn't mean they're not saved, it just means God says, nope, you're not going to continue living the way you're living. And shorten their life. <laughs> and they're probably, if God takes them that way, they're probably not hearing from them, welcome, well done, you good and faithful servant. It's welcome, you're here by the grace of Jesus only. <laughs> you know, go ahead and get in, you're, you know, start polishing the street of gold, you know. Yeah. Uh, you're, not, you're not teaching, you're not, you don't have the penthouse, you're you know, you, you're just here. You're here by my grace. And ultimately, my greatest desire is to hear God say, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know I haven't been obedient in everything, but I hope that I've been good enough to hear those words. I've tried hard to serve him the best that I can as I listen to him.
All right, the last little paragraph in this chapter. In the year that King Ahaz died was this burden. Rejoice you not, whole Palestina, because the rod of him that smote you is broken, for out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, and his fruit shall be a fiery flying serpent. And the firstborn of the poor shall feed, and the needy shall lie down in safety. And I will kill your root with famine, and, you sh and he shall slay your remnant. Howl, O gate, cry, O city, you whole Palestina are dis dissolved. And there shall come from the north a smoke, and none shall be alone at his appointed times. And there, yet what shall one then answer the messenger of the nations? That the Lord has founded Zion, and the poor of his people shall trust in it. All right. So the, this uh, verse 28 is a time marker. In the year that King Ahaz died was this message. King Ahaz was one of the last kings that Israel, that Isaiah prophesied under. Uh, we had uh, Uzziah uh, was the first king of him. King Uzziah was a very good king up until about the last five years of his reign. Then he got proud and he's the one, if you remember, he went into the temple and was going to offer incense on, with the censer and the 70 priests came up and said, no, you can't do this. And he was so mad at him as he was yelling at him, God struck him with leprosy and he got out of the temple real quick. Okay. His son is Jotham. Jotham was a good king in his just like his father, except for one minor issue. He never went to the temple to worship. Okay. Probably because he was mad at God for striking his father with leprosy for, being, for doing something wrong in the temple. Now, he honored God. He got rid of the, rid of the uh, altars and a bunch of the idols, but he would never go to the temple, it says. He raises a son called Ahaz, who's mentioned here, who was a wicked king. Ahaz had nothing to do with God. He had a father that would not go to church, so he did not grow up in the church. He had a father who was semi-obeying you know, God, but he goes, okay, dad doesn't really believe in God. He doesn't go worship him. I'm not going to believe in him at all. And Ahaz is a wicked king, uh, one of the more wicked kings of, of Judah. He is followed by Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a good king up until his end days. These kings had a problem with not finishing well. Hezekiah was on his deathbed. Isaiah went into him, uh, or not, his, uh, not Isaiah, but the prophet went into him and said, you're going to die, prepare your you know, prepare yourself, get your house in order. And as he's walking out, he gets halfway across the yard and, and Hezekiah prays and asks God to live. The prophet is told to go back and tell him your prayers answered. You're going to live for 15 more years. During those 15 years, Hezekiah is a terrible man. He gets proud and shows off the treasury and gets cursed for that. And during those 15 years, he gives birth to a man named Manasseh. Manasseh is one of the most evil kings of Judah. He was the most wicked, it said, of all the kings of Manasseh, and he rules for a long time. And if Hezekiah had died when he was supposed to have, Manasseh would never have been born and never have come to power, and who knows which one, of, if any of his other sons were going to be 
good, but they probably weren't going to be as wicked as this son that was born during the time that he was in rebellion to God. So this, I bring this up because it's kind of an example of be careful what we pray for. Hezekiah got an answer, and the children of uh, Judah probably wished that he hadn't gotten the answer because they're going to get a wicked king who takes them so far away from God. And they thought Ahaz was bad. Manasseh is going to be even worse. And I don't know what happens to any other Hezekiah's kids. They were probably all killed. Probably. I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, he probably did. It was, habit, it was a habit for these guys to kill off each other. Uh, Ahaz tried to do that with his, with his. Ahaz killed off all the royal seed except for Hezekiah, who was hidden. Uh, Josiah, the same thing happened to him. Uh, he was hidden, and everybody else was massacred in the royal family. So, yes, it's happened several times. So I just can't remember if Manasseh was one of those that killed probably. Yeah, they all kind of get jumbled up. Yeah, they start to jumble up after a while. But I just want to point out, Manasseh is an evil king. He is born because Hezekiah asked, asked for more time, more time to live. So, again, we need to be careful. God will sometimes give us things that aren't for our good. Now, he's got a purpose for it, obviously. It's, you know, part of his purpose here was to bring his Judah into captivity and draw their sin to a completion because then he's going to have a whole series of kings before they go into captivity. So we... Exactly. Yeah, and that's what they, the next generation paid for Hezekiah's sin. He put it into play. <laughs> but, you know, and this is true. We need to be careful because we say this over and over. Sin always affects a lot of people. Even if we think we're the only one being involved with it, sin affects other people in some way, somehow, some fashion. Because the thing, like, for a lot of men, they'll go, well, pornography's not hurting anybody. Well, what about all the women and men that have been, a, you know, that produced it in the first place that probably some of them didn't want to be there? Uh, many of them are, are sex slaves and everything that are put into the, that market. You know, there's a huge market where all this stuff is going on, and you're going, oh, yeah, well, well, all right, there's, there's me and the people that are in pictures. Well, what about their families who lost their people? You know, you, you can keep going back further and further. Okay, how about how it changes the way you think about the opposite sex? You know, and, and deal with them. And, you know, you take it down these longer paths, and it's like you have made huge issues. And I put pornography because it's usually the one everybody goes, well, it doesn't hurt anybody, really. It's a victimless crime, you know. It's, if I lie, it's a victimless crime. Well, yeah, what about the person who has been lied about or can no longer trust you? Uh, you know, so there's no such thing as a victimless crime. And as you said, all these kings who didn't live out their life, you know, really caused problems to the next generation. And they, they set the stage for things not happening. And we need to be careful. You know, because people are watching us, and this is something we've got to keep in mind. People are looking at us, especially when we let them know we're a Christian. And when we get into a place where the flesh wants to get angry and mad, and we get angry and mad, and people go, oh, is that how Christians act in, the, in those situations? Uh, that's just like me. I guess I don't want to be a Christian. And we set back their, their desire to be a Christian. Uh, you know, or, I thought you were better than that. You know, well, you gotta, we want to be careful with that excuse, too. So real quick, these last little things. Uh, 
Rejoice not, you whole of Palestinia, because the rod of him that smote you is broken. And the, okay, and this is talking about Palestinia. Can mean just Philistia. But in this one, it seems to mean the entire, what we call the Holy Land right now. It, it seems to be, and there's, this word is not necessarily Philistia, even though it's used for Philistia. Sometimes it, it, it involves all of Canaan and all those areas. So in this case, I really think it's talking about the entire Holy Land. And it really is the word that they start pulling Palestinian from. Okay. There's no such people as the Palestinians. It's an area of land that covered all of that area. Okay, but there was no people of, of, of that area, uh, contrary to the Palestinian people at this point. <laughs> yeah, they claim to be the, the people of that area. Matter of fact, the word literally means strangers and foreigners. <laughs> so and it says, don't rejoice because the rod that smote you is broken. <laughs> Okay, and again, this goes out of the idea, be careful what you're wishing for because, okay, we're being delivered. He goes, out of that is going to come a serpent's root, and out of that is going to come the cockatrice or a, or a poisonous serpent. And then out of that will come a flying fiery serpent. Okay, in other words, each of these things is going to lead to something worse. So he's talking about Syria getting broken. Syria and Babylon being broken. Their, their, you know, their, their bondage, their, 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 their rod is their power. He says, okay, we're broken that, but you're going to get something worse. And out of that is going to come something even worse than that. All right? And how many times have we actually had that happen to us? We get out of the, out of the frying pan and into the fire, as the, as the statement goes. You know, uh, God, I, I think it was better in the frying pan. Get me back in the frying pan now. I don't want to be in the fire. Uh, and we jump out of that fire and you put a bigger fire. <laughs> yeah. And again, this is why we need to listen to God and say, God, what is it you have for me? Because God could have lifted us out of the frying pan real easily if we had just been patient. Now we're in the fire, he can get us out of the fire too, but, <laughs> but we go through a lot more suffering than we would, and that's what they're being warned here. You think, you think you're getting, you've uh, been happy getting out of this power? Let's just wait till you see the next thing coming your way. Uh, now you're going to have poisonous serpents and adders coming after you. Oh, and by the way, after that, we'll, 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 make, we'll make them flying serpents. You know, yeah, dragon, you know. But he's basically saying, we're just, you know, we'll just keep making it worse. You, you think you're getting out of these problems, you're just getting into something bigger. And how many times have we done that in our life? We get crawling out of something that we think was a bad place in our own strength and end up in a worse place. Yeah, and at first it seems like, okay, I've done it. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, and I shared with you all, I did it for six years, fighting with God, and I kept getting in a worse place with each battle I fought with God until I finally just gave up. And then God lifted me up out of the whole fire and put me on the side and said, okay, let's get you started on the right path. And everything, everything changed in a moment. And that's the great thing when we serve God. No matter how bad a mess we've made out of it, when we totally turn and repent to God and, and just say, God, I'm, I'm tired of trying, I need you, most of the time God picks us right up out of the midst of it and puts us off to the side. You know, he, he evacuates us. As, you know, we've got the storm coming in on South Carolina, and they're telling everybody's supposed to evacuate the coast. Well, God will do that for us. In the middle of our trial, when we surrender, he just says, okay, let's evacuate you from this problem and put you over here where it's peaceful. 
and you go, wow, how did we get here? Yeah. <laughs> and, God, you did this so easy. I've been fighting and, and tooth and nail, and, and you just delivered the whole thing. Again, it comes down to that rest in God. He's got a plan for us. You know, and I think of people like George Mueller, I think, is one of the greatest examples. You know, when, he's, when breakfast time is there and there's no breakfast, and he's, he's praying, God, thank you for the food that we're going to eat. No food, no hope for food. And he's thanking God for the food, and they come, comes and knocks at the door with the food. <laughs> yeah. And he didn't know that the food was sitting out there. He didn't even know that there was any way of getting food. For all he knew, manna was going to fall down you know, from heaven. He did not know how God was going to fulfill the answer to that prayer. His faith in God was just such that, God, we need this. You're the provider. <laughs> You're going to provide. And he didn't know if it was going to be a supernatural you know, one loaf of bread that everybody keeps taking it off. He didn't know if it was going to be manna all of a sudden fall on their plates. You know. And I don't know what his, you know, his thought, but I'm just thinking different things that I could have thought of. You know, and I sometimes have these things when I pray, you know, God, you really could do this this way or this way or this way or this. And I'm trying hard sometimes. God, you don't need my help. <laughs> you know, but I'm sitting there trying to figure out all the ways, even supernatural ways, God can deliver something. You know, and it's like, God, I'm just going to, I'm just going to pray. God, just help me just to pray and, and be listening for you. And I don't know if Mueller was having any ideas of how something might have happened, but you know, I'm sure he didn't expect the, the bread delivery guy and the milk truck delivery guy to be at his front door saying, oh, do you need these for the kids? That was not on his mind. Uh, but, you know, God says, you know, be careful. Be careful what you're looking for because you might just get into a worse place if you're doing it on your own. It says, the firstborn of the poor shall feed, the needy shall lie down in safety, and I will kill your root with famine, and he shall slay your remnant. So basically, you strong people who are used to having everything go your way, you're going to die. These poor people who are not used to having anything go their way, they're going to be in safety. They're going to eat. And you know, this is some of the greatest things sometimes when you just relax in God and watch him. I have seen miracles from God, you know, and I've shared with you, there's been times when we had 15, 20 people at our house for, for lunch, you know, when I was growing up, and we'd have one pot of, of, of ochre and a, and a pot of rice, and everybody ate out of those two pots and were full, and they were still just a little bit left at the bottom of the pot. I know that there's times in our potluck, end of the month potluck, where God has done that, because I'm looking around and going, there's not enough food for all the people, and everybody leaves full. You know, God still does these kind of things if we just let him. Yeah. You never know what God and God's doing. God does these little, little miracles that we probably don't even recognize. And that's part of what we need to do is be able to recognize that a miracle has happened. Uh, and as I said the other day, just getting up in the morning is really a miracle when we think about it. You know, we don't deserve another day. We don't, God's never promised us another day. So every day we get up is really a miracle. And that God is letting us go for another day to serve him. Of course, the alternative is a better miracle. We get to go stand before him in heaven. But And verse 31, how, O gate, cry, O city, you, whole of Palestina, are dissolved. <laughs> in other words, you, you are wiped out, you are obliterated, you're melted, you're no longer in existence. So again, we're looking 
at the end of the millennial kingdom when everything is wiped out. Uh, because at the end of the millennial kingdom, God destroys the old heaven and earth and creates a brand new heaven and earth with no imperfections in it. All the bad, all the death, all the sin will be wiped out and he'll create a new heaven and earth. And what that'll be like, I don't know. All I know, all, we're told that there's a great big city that only, you know, well, little city, 3,000 miles every direction, <laughs> including tall, uh, just, a small, just a small little place. <laughs> that, that will be the new Jerusalem where the saints will dwell. And then there will be a whole world that needs to be populated and, and, and maintained. And what that means, I don't know. All I know is that God says there's commerce, there's things, and there will be work in that, in that world. So who knows what's in, going to be involved with that world. Uh, and it's going to be a great environment to be in. And then I believe we have the whole universe to have a playground. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of a very interesting thing because heaven is not just sitting around on clouds playing harps and, and being bored all the time. God created man to work. So for all of eternity, there will be work. Heaven's going to be extreme, extremely beautiful, beyond anything we can comprehend. But there's also going to be some work, but it's going to be work that we enjoy. We've taken, I don't know about all generations, but like this generation, taken work and made it a bad word. Many generations have over the past. Some, some have praised work and encouraged work. Uh, but work is usually, over history, been looked at as just something you had to do to get to have other, I had to take care of my fields, I had to grow the stuff if I wanted to eat. So work has always kind of been looked at as a burden. But you know, the greatest thing, and I've had this happen on several occasions, is when you're working a job that you love. And it's been said that if you work a job you love, you're ne you'll never work a day in your life. And I've been there at certain jobs, at least for periods of time, where I'm working a job that I love so much that I'm enjoying going to work and this is why God put the Sabbath into place because he says, okay, I want you to quit enjoying and playing so much and have a day off to worship me, to concentrate on me. And that's why I've talked to some people, especially pastors who, go, who work very hard on their day off. Well, I just enjoy this. I'm going, but that's not what God called the Sabbath for. He called us to stop enjoying ourselves and worship him, concentrate on him. And that's the whole purpose of the Sabbath. And we need to keep that in mind. You are dissolved, and there shall come from the north a smoke, and there shall, and none shall be alone in his appointed times, or no one will stand. What shall one another answer the messengers? That the Lord hath founded Zion, and the poor of his people shall trust in it. God says, I have established my city, and the poorest will be trusting in him. And you know, if you're trusting in God, you're never poor in reality. You're getting everything you need met and provided for. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this great opportunity we have to worship you. We ask you to guide and lead us as we go forward. Lord, give us opportunities to share you. Most importantly, Lord, for everybody that listens to this message, help us learn to just rest in you. Rest in faith that you have a perfect plan and that we will just say, God, I will trust in your plan. In Jesus' name, amen.